0: Log Talk Radio. End. Up.
1: You might see me moving.
0: Hello everyone and thank you for tuning in to Help for H D Live. Help for HD Live is brought to you by Help for HD International and is made possible by our sponsor. Griffin Foundation and an education grant from Tava Pharmaceuticals. I am your host, Katie Jackson, and today our guest is Miss Teresa Temkin, Adult Nurse Practitioner. Terry has over 18 years working at UC Davis, California at HDSA Center of Excellence. During her time there, she worked with the HD team to build one of the largest HD programs in the country, noted for their expertise in HD and JHD. She has participated in 18 clinical trials targeting new treatments for HD. Although she retired, which was the saddest day I actually cried, in 2016, um, she still uh, she still wanted to work with HD. And um, I remember her telling me, once you start working in HD, it's just one of those things that you'll carry with you for life, and you want to help and be a part of. And um, she was able to. We she said yes to us asking. Um, for her to join our executive board of Health for HD International, and she also consults with um, HDSA Center of Excellence program. She, uh, I don't know where I would be without Terry Temkin. She has helped so many people navigate through their journeys of HD, which is such a hard journey. But Terry does it with so much expertise, and I don't know where my husband and I honestly would be without Terry. Um, she got us through uh, about ten years of, from my husband was first diagnosed until the day she retired and um, she has saved me more than I can tell you, and um, I'm very, very proud to call her one of my very dear friends. Um, so I'm excited to interview her today and her share some of her expertise with you on the show. Welcome to the show, Terry.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Katie, and that was such a nice introduction, and hello to everybody who's listening to the show today. Um, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, and tell us about um, – and most people actually probably already know a little bit about your background, but can you tell us just about how you kind of became involved in HC?
1: Sure. Um, I was I, – as you know, I'm an adult nurse practitioner, and I actually was working in another field, and Vicki Wheelock um, – called me. We actually happened to be friends. We were not working together, but our families were friends. And she told me she was starting a new program at UC Davis. Uh, This was back in 1998, a Huntington's disease program. And she actually called and wanted to know if I had a friend who might be interested in a a, a friend who was a nurse practitioner who might be interested in joining her over there. And I said, well, actually I'd be interested. (laughs) And that was kind of how that started. And, um, It was the best decision I made um, ever in my career. And, um, you know, I didn't start off knowing a lot about Huntington's disease, um, but I quickly learned, and certainly um, Dr. Wheelock's guidance and mentoring helped me with the medical end of things for sure. But I, I, I say this truthfully and honestly, I learned most about managing this from families, um, they were mm-hmm. gracious enough to share their stories with me. There were lots of things I did when I did that, and I'll just share this because I think it's pertinent to what we're talking about today. You know, we we did a lot of work and research. You know, we did that pre-stem cell study. Um, I learned a lot about conducting clinical trials. I learned an awful lot about participating in things like that and learned a lot in the clinic with hands-on care for people who are on this Huntington's journey. So there were a lot of tasks, jobs, and responsibilities, but to this day I still consider the most important thing that I ever did in those 18 years at that Center of Excellence was to be on the other end of the phone when people needed us. And I Mm. think that's true today because people on this journey face an awful lot of the unknowns and they need somebody to turn to. And Mm -hmm. it isn't because I have all the answers, but families shared a lot of stories. So over the years, you put all that experience together and you share it with other people that it might help them on their journey. Mm. That was a long answer, Kim. Sorry. (laughs)
0: No, no, and it's so interesting you say that because you know i I remember and the hell I went through when Mike was first diagnosed and um and making that first phone call to to u c Davis and you were the one that answered the phone, so that always makes me smile because um i uh you were the first contact I had for my kind of my journey turning into a more positive um helpful Direction than um, the terrible direction I was on. So um, yes, that you being on the other end of the phone definitely um, was the most important part of my my journey in the beginning for sure. Um, so uh, this month we've been talking a lot about surviving the holidays, and um, all of us uh, now uh, have you know the holidays are now coming to an end. So I want to talk a little bit with you about maybe let's start with the caregivers and what are some ideas you have for de-stressing after all these festivities we are going to have to go through?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was like a magic incantation or a magic pill or something that after you face this challenging time and with all the Responsibilities, expectations, disappointments, and everything that goes with it—that you can get on the other side, and all of a sudden it disappears. But you and I both know that's not true. And um, yeah. so I, I think if you've if you've made it to the other side in 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 any kind of reasonable—and other side, I mean that in terms of surviving the holidays—if any kind of you know uh, reasonable state. You know, I, I think it's important. So there there are coping strategies you need for everyday diligence, right? And the holidays just kind of compounds that because there's all these additional things. And then there's there's things you might want to pull out of your toolkit for these extraordinary times when you know there's extra pressure, ex, extra expectations, and extra unknowns. And, you know, I, I think over the years what I learned is getting caregivers, the, You know, we're trying to focus on them right now. Caregivers to focus on themselves is sometimes the hardest thing because Mm -hmm. they rightfully so, they're so wrapped up in what they have to do every single day to manage not only their families or whatever their extended relationships are, manage the person they're caregiving for and manage them themselves they so often don't feel like they have the luxury to focus on themselves they 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 just don't and that's a hard nut to crack to try to convince them that yes you have to feel your reservoir and that's kind of how I I reach to it as that as you're going through and managing all these things your reservoir gets depleted and if you have a crisis whether it's medical or or psychiatric crisis it depletes even more rapidly right and so yeah. I I challenge people to focus on activities or things that restore and help energize them and refill that reservoir because it's different for everybody. Um, You know, we were sharing a story about, you know, about you, Katie, talking about taking a trip with your kids who you know are experiencing some additional stress this season as well so you know if that's in your wheelhouse and it's affordable for you and you can do that and you say okay we've made it through this now we're going to go you know to this place because it restores us and we know it restores us and we're going to do that that's terrific and that's a great coping strategy but sometimes it's just as simple as acknowledging you need to you, you need to fill that reservoir and then think about the things that you do that that do that for you Maybe it's curling up to get two hours by yourself to read a book. Maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe it's cooking your favorite dish. Maybe it's connecting with someone who's meaningful to you to say, just to say, oh, ain't it awful, right? (laughs) To have a, oh, ain't it Mm -hmm. awful session. Um, So, uh, you know, I I think the first step of that is what is it I can do to restore my sense of well-being and how, can, how quickly can I get that done?
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I think, um, you know,
0: I hear this from caregivers, and I know I know you heard this in the clinic for almost 19 years, of this, I don't have time. I can't. My loved one's sick. I, I can't. I, I can't. Know. I don't have time. I know. Is, you know and, man, you, you, can't, you, you can't afford not to do this. Um, I've had dear friends pass away that are caregivers from stress, from suicide, um, yes, from so many yes. different reasons, because this has taken them to the edge, and um, their bodies oh, yeah. um, have 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 failed because it's so stressful, and stress yes. kills us. And so, yes. where's your loved one going to be if you're not there? So
1: it's almost like you can't not right. afford to do it. I know, and, you know, it, it's interesting, Katie, because, you know, sitting on a radio show here talking together, you know, we have a long history with each other. I want to assure people we're not saying this lightly and we're not saying it globally, right? It, it, I know how hard it is, you know, having been a caregiver for someone who was dying as well, I know how hard it is to uninvest yourself even temporarily from that responsibility and that role. So, we're not We're not trying to to tell you guys that it's easy to do, but we are trying to make a compelling case of why it is so essential that you do it and because depression rates are higher for caregivers than they are for the people that you care about that's been statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, noted in all areas of caregiving, not just in Huntington's disease, but people caring for someone who has Alzheimer's or end-stage cancer, mm-hmm. the caregiving, the caregiver rates of depression and thoughts of suicide are higher. They, they just are, mm-hmm. and it's, mm-hmm. um, um, it, and we can all see why. And I, and as we all well, as we all know you know, I'm biased. I think the caregiving, the Huntington's, juvenile Huntington's caregiving journey in many ways, I don't want to say worse because I don't want to diminish other people's, you know, experience, but Mm -hmm. we all know the challenges in Huntington's are far more significant because they last so much longer and it goes on many times for decades, which just wears the, the caregivers out. And then you have that piece of having to re-energize yourself potentially for the next generation. And so, yeah, I think yeah. the caregiving journey is much harder in this, in this field. And so, but, again, makes it so compelling. You know, I think sometimes people need to seek professional help. They may need to I, – I used to, you know, try to get people where I felt there was a threshold of that caregiver who was really experiencing something that could be considered clinical depression, please see your doctor. Because, you know what, antidepressants, even temporarily, um, getting you through a rough patch can be really, really helpful. And so, you know, I think it's important to make that socially acceptable. It doesn't mean that you're not a good caregiver. It just means you may need that extra little help um, to – that extra little help to – get you through a difficult time so that, you know, taking antidepressants for people where it's clinically indicated, it's not for everybody, but clinically indicated, it doesn't change your circumstance. It doesn't change the grief you feel. It doesn't change the responsibility you feel. It just helps you cope. It helps you not Mm -hmm. always feel on the edge of breaking down. And that is really Mm -hmm. important because if you've got that job to do, you don't want to be constantly feeling like you're going to be the one to fall apart, right? So I, I think right. that's help. If if that's your story, uh, and it's not for everybody, but if that's your story, please understand it's very acceptable to seek that avenue of help, especially getting through holidays. Right? If uh, right. Um, yeah. so, you know, I mean, we could go through, Katie. We could go through a litany of things to do. You know, if you can travel, you can travel. If you can go get a massage, get a massage. You know, we could we could make a whole page of lists of things that help restore someone's reservoir, but it's different for everybody. I think the important thing is to recognize you have to refill that reservoir or you will not make the long game. You just won't. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it, it, it's making that choice of, of, of putting yourself first when you're in the thick of it is hard, 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 hard. But that's when you reach out. You know, we've said this before on other programs, Katie, that it's really great to have your special people, right, your go-tos. And on the journey, whether you're in the beginning, middle, or end stages, you want to have your go-to people, the folks that you can confide in, that you can let your hair down with, who know the the absolute truth and know you and that you feel you have that relationship, is maybe you need to – tell that go-to person, you need to cue me when you see me losing it or falling apart, or mm-hmm. you need to remind me that I need to be taking care of myself too. And um, yeah. I think that's a helpful strategy to, to share that, that notion of fill my reservoir, and if you can't do it alone, then have your go-to person be or people be someone who helps remind you and you know kind of pull you back a little and say "Uh, you better be doing this right yeah
0: yeah and I also think another thing this is the community is so important because I know that there were times when Mike was at home and I had these young kids I couldn't leave the house um and Mm -hmm. I needed I felt overwhelmed and I felt awful and I had um, you know, my community that I had on, on speed dial. And, um, you know, I remember Judy Roberson telling me, you could call me at three o'clock in the morning. You can call me whenever you need me. And I yeah. have, I actually have really? called her at one time at like 2 AM cause I was high at a crisis. So, you know, don't ever extend that unless you want to tap. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that being able to go outside in your backyard and just, you know, cause your backyard, you're so close enough to get to your loved one and, or your children, but just vent, and say you know this, I and I've done this to my community, and my community says I understand. I know um, what you're going through, yes. and just having that ear sometimes is enough respite for you to go, okay, I've gotten it out. I've breathed out here by myself yes. for you know an hour, looking in the window to make sure everything's yes. okay, but then breathing. Sometimes that's enough. Um,
1: and yeah, you know your community
0: will is important through this as well. So.
1: And you know Definitely. that's really important. I think it's really important too, Katie, because we're we're on a radio show. So hopefully, you know, the goal is to reach people who otherwise might not be connected to a Huntington's community. And there there is no doubt in my mind. There's absolutely this this I know for true to quote uh, um to quote you know Oprah Winfrey. This I know for sure. The journey is somewhat unburdened when you're able to share it with people who understand what you're doing and nobody under or going through, Mm -hmm. no one understands that journey like your Huntington's community. I'm sorry that nobody understands like, like they do. And you're right. Even just reaching out and making a phone call just to uh, unload or be able to walk it, you know, walk away from it, it. can be therapeutic and give you the energy to face another day. Right. Because, you know, sometimes when it's really hard, especially when you've come over a a time like the holidays with a lot of expectations and trying to manage your loved one, trying to manage the family, trying to manage everything in this, like shouldn't the holidays be perfect? and, and, And very often they're not because of the unpredictability that Huntington's inserts. And I think that's what's so challenging for Huntington's families is that um, it in, uh, inserts Huntington's as, can be uncertain. You know, lots of people don't know from day to day how this is going to look. And yes. trying to manage that trajectory of that uncertainty is exhausting, exhausting. So yeah. even if it isn't physically exhausting, it's emotionally and mentally exhausting. And then, again, why? even like making a little list, these are my go-to strategies for – for filling up my reservoir. And, and maybe, yeah. you know, that's a good thing if, if you can't. Make a little list. Stick it on your refrigerator where it's visible to remind you that, oh, yeah, 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 i got to fill up my reservoir. And you could be simple things like call my friend, go for a walk, eat a piece of chocolate, <laughs> go to the beach, you know, whatever. It can be a variety of yeah. things for a, a quick fix or a longer-term fix but something visual that reminds you, i got to fill up my reservoir. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, I 100% agree. So now we've talked about caregivers, so let's talk now about HD, um, our, our loved ones yeah. with HD or JHD. Um, how can we help them decompress after the holiday season? Yeah. You know,
1: I think that, you know, there's, um, yeah, because, you know, all these things about the caregivers and, you know, folks who are actually, you know, walking the HD journey, there's expectations and things too. You know, I I, I think that one is a harder one to target because Katie, you know that, that everybody um, is different. Everyone with Huntington's is different. And sometimes it's, sometimes people have insight and sometimes they don't. And um, I think when there's cases of them not having insight into things, um, you have to kind of be careful. They may not have insight into some things, but they might still have an appreciation of things, right? They have some kind of perception of something. So it can't just be discounted like, oh, they don't get it. Um, And... I, but I, I always think that when there's a lack of insight, the management is always a, more of a challenge. And I think it's hard. You know, there's a lot of things to manage, but I would count, you know, counsel people that, you know, going through this, trying to keep a finger on the pulse of how the person with HD or GHD is reacting, if... Mm. You know, all the holiday frenzy and expectation is wearing them out. Then you know to recharge their batteries, you got to get rid of some of that, right? To not make it so right. difficult for them to get it through. You know, a simple and practical thing going into it is are their meds optimized? You know, are we, you know, like, uh, you know, should there have been tweaking a couple months ago to kind of, you know, stabilize things? If they are taking medication, you know, that's an easy thing to do. Um, but you know, the other thing is, is people sometimes, especially as HD progresses, sometimes people anticipate that person with HD needs more stimulation than they do. I think you've you've seen this personally, Katie, but we've certainly seen it in mm-hmm. the community that as things progress, they're okay with not running around. They're okay with not multitasking. They're okay with with having less of a big hoopla. Now, again, remember, not everybody is the same, and I'm not necessarily creating, but I think it's important to keep in mind that it doesn't have to be a big pencil-filled show all the time because that may just be too much. And so yeah. I think to recharge, just be aware going into it, not to, not to overrun the battery, right?
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. No, so, and that is um,
0: the hardest thing to understand as yeah. a caregiver and as a family. I mean, not a caregiver. It is. But that is the hardest thing to grasp. Yes, and um, I remember early on in the clinic, you telling me, we were talking about the kids and how rain, these are young, yes. I have young children. And they run around and they're crazy and they're they're excited, especially around the holidays. Yeah. They're excited and they're mm-hmm. you know all this. And you, I remember you saying to me one time, the kids are a lot of stimulation. Like, oh no, yeah. Mike's Mike's would never get <laughs> stimulated by his children. You know, no, this is never going to happen. And then that first time that Mike was snapped, and I I can't handle it, right? And then I went, oh, yeah. I get it. So, you know, it takes that that time, but yeah, to really understand that. Mike and I come from families of four. You know, there are four of on my side, four on his side. We have large families, lots of people, lots of kids. And it took me till last year when Mike, I decided, no, we're doing everything the same, and Mike sat and threw up. So worked yeah. up, made himself throw yeah. up, started this yeah. OCD behavior of him making himself throw up. He'd lost an, an immense amount of weight. This went on for about a month after the holidays. We worked him up so bad that we put him into a spiral, yeah. and yeah. that's
1: yeah. what I learned. And you know, oh my you gosh! Did it. You I do. Re- yeah, don't awful. blame yourself, sweetie, because because you know that's one of the tricks we've talked about that trying to balance the expectation of your family, which includes your nuclear yeah. family, your children, and what, and then your extended family. They everybody has a lot of expectations, but nobody understands your loved one better than that caregiver, right? I mean, you guys right. know that person, and and so finding that balance of making making something meaningful for them, balancing everybody else's expectations. It's it's you know that's the caregiver bur- one of the caregiver burdens, right? But I I think it's right. it's just trying to manage those things because you want to make something meaningful for that person who has HD, and and you know here's a second list to post on the refrigerator you got the caregiver how do i refill my reservoir list right next to it is how do i ref- refill my loved one's list what is it that makes them feel better you know when they do have insight they carry a lot of guilt don't they they feel guilty yeah. that they're putting people through this that's when they have insight when they don't have insight maybe not so much but you have to factor in that right. they may feel really guilty. They may feel like they're overburdening everybody. So what is it that you can do so they don't feel like that, right? Or to counterbalance it. You won't completely eliminate it, but to make them right. feel loved and cherished. That re, you know that refreshes them. And you know me. <clears throat> I should say restores, you know, starts to fill up their reservoir too. And you know me. I'm always, for those people who are able, and we know at the end stage they may not be, but I'm a huge advocate of physical activity for people with Huntington's and, and caregivers too. More and more research points to how beneficial it is to us to be moving. And so if your loved one is still at that point that you can take a walk with them, take a walk, if that person is still, you know, able to to Um, do activities like play a game of ping pong or go out and do touch football or something, do those things, build that into your repertoire of things that restore the reservoir. You know, if they're at end stage, just consider a walk outside breathing fresh air. Um, There's, or, or take them, you know, put them in the wheelchair and, you know, do their favorite little, you know, track around the building. Um, If they're in in a care facility, Get them outside. You know those reservoir. Like yeah. I said, they, there could be tons of stuff on those reservoir lists. Um, but write them down and put them visible because I think that helps as a really tangible reminder of striking that balance. Because you know, Katie, at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about striking a balance, right? Because that magic pill isn't there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well.
0: With New Year's um, around the corner, we talk about goals. Um, some of, I think, the general population yes. goals seem silly to our community, <laughs> like I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to, you know, this. We wish that was that was what could be our, our, our New Year's goal because it's hard um, to make goals. I remember um, and Thanksgiving, people were talking about what they were thankful for, and someone said, "I am." excited for 2019 and I can't wait and hopefully 2019 will be better than 2018 and my daughter who is 16 looked over at me and she goes yeah right 2019 is going to be the worst year of my life and that showed me yeah that showed me that these and this is my family saying this um, that my children were put back by that that hurt them that they're they have the opportunity to have a great 2019 when we know Going, being in final stages of HD That R19 is going to look very very. Even if my husband lives through 2019 It's not going to be A pleasant year for me and my children So right. Let's talk about that About goals, yeah. New Year's These resolutions What is good for our community?
1: You know I think you said The obvious Katie Is that the goals Should not be over, overreaching And unobtainable and they're gonna be diff, you know, different for everybody because of everyone's uniqueness, but also because of, you know, different stages of things. I I think this i I think making goals I think is a great idea. And here's the third post it note on the refrigerator, right? <laughs> because I think it's good to keep a reminder of that visual, um, is that um I think it's Something as simple. I, I would keep them simple. So here, here, here would be my advice: is keep them simple and also keep them not so rigid that you get caught up into feeling like you're failing to keep the goal. If things, if your trajectory is unmanageable and things go south, here's you know mm-hmm. to, to say like, well, I'm gonna make you know I'm gonna have them do this, this, and this. Well, maybe you can do that and maybe you can't. But I think this is where you you turn to the people who, who is your tribe, right? You're either your community or mm-hmm. your trusted confidants on this journey and talk about what is meaningful to you, right? If the goal, yeah. we, you know, we recently heard one of our colleagues say, I want to get my dad out more this year. I think that's a great mm-hmm. goal. I think that's a great goal yeah. and it's attainable it's doable, and it's something that's meaningful to them. And that's the whole crux of it, is something that's it's meaningful to them but meaningful to you. And um, I think it's a great thing. And, and don't make a huge list. I think there should just be no more than three is easy as one goal on that sticky note um, next to your Fill My Reservoir lists of, what you want to do. Maybe the goal is I just want to survive it. I just want to come yeah. through intact. Oh. Or I just want to be a better listener to my children. Mm. I think that's a great goal is maybe yeah. I should tune in and, and emotionally check in with my kids more often this next year, knowing it's going to be a challenging year to take your example that you set up for us. I think it's a great goal. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and, and I, I, remember to yeah, recharge. I yeah, yeah, Go ahead.
0: that's for sure. And I, I think I think that when we we um, set goals, and and this is kind of leading me into our our HD uh, real quick about um, goals for them. I think that when we fail at our goals, um, I think when we set our expectations too high. I think that we, you yes. know, all of us, even the simple goals, like I just said about weight loss, I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to go to the gym more, everyone falls off that. No one really sticks to you know. that, you know, and it lasts like two weeks, right. and then, then you're done. And and you're generally like, okay, well, I failed at that. Well, people with HD aren't that good at that. Um, I know that my husband, um, if he had a, something in his head and it didn't happen, he would perseverate, and he would start behaviors, mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. let's talk about goals for our HD people our, pay, our loved ones but not setting goals to where it could set them into a behavior or something that makes them uncomfortable because that's, right.
1: that's my biggest that's right. fear is,
0: is making my husband uncomfortable
1: yeah and yeah. you know sometimes that's a hard target to hit isn't it because sometimes yeah. they, can't, they can't tell you what is going to make them uncomfortable, or they may not be able to be as in touch with it as we would want and need them to be. But, you know, again, I think this is simplicity. Remember, no one knows them as well as Mm -hmm. you do. If you're the caregiver, no one knows them as well as you do. And maybe um, it's (laughs) – I remember spending I'm sorry I'm diverting here just a little bit, spending a lot of time in the clinic saying, Hey, try this, do this, try this, do this, try this, do this and you know, sometimes that was helpful advice and sometimes it wasn't. Just because, you know, when you're sitting in a clinic office visit, you're trying to target of somebody who lives at home on a day to day basis and sometimes you're target like I said, sometimes you're target on it, sometimes you miss the mark, not because you aren't trying to be helpful, but just because that day-to-day journey can be so different, right? So, you know, it's just, you know, I think our our good friend in you know, a mentor to many HD families, Jimmy Pollard, would say, um, keep it simple. Keeping it Mm -hmm. simple. And that's hard for us because we still want to see that person with Huntington's how they used to be, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we know that they're not we know we but it's hard emotionally to let go of that isn't it because we want to still yeah. be seeing that person and treating that person how they were before Huntington started changing things and it's it the change actually has to happen more from us that we keep it simple keep it loving keep their needs you know on target and appropriately focused but not denying our own and that's that's the balance and so the goals you know I'm going to say physical activity if you can do it <laughs> yeah but the other like just very simple things that you know uh, um you know I'm going to spend 30 minutes of my caregiving time every week, just doing something that reconnects us as people, right? Instead of being the nurse all the time, instead of being the manager, the case manager all the time, because we all know those caregivers, when people start to get sick, you start out as a, as a case manager, and then you end up, you know, as a nurse doing physical tasks. If you're caring for someone at home. Try to An easy goal that is so helpful for someone with HD is to say, I'm going to spend 30 minutes of my time that are not those roles. I'm taking those hats off, taking the hats off, and I'm going to spend 30 minutes of how we used to be, if you can. And I have to tell you, that would be a welcome blessing if you can achieve it. Some people can't. Some people, it's just too difficult to give up that, the hat, and, and that's okay. It, it, it's all right. Yeah. Um, but it it actually is something that will fill the reservoir. And and of course, the other thing of setting a goal for someone who has HD is ask them, what is it you want to do? What is it that's achievable for you to add to the list? that's uh, to me, the whole thing comes down to meaningful, something meaningful. I would never presume to tell somebody. Do this, this and this unless it's like exercise, but do this, this and this. Taking care of yourself, you know, all those all those nurse practitioner things you have to add in there when you're in the medical model, right? But um what is it that's meaningful to you? When was the last time you asked that to somebody you're caring for? What's meaningful to you? Yeah. Good question, huh?
0: Yeah. And I think one yeah. I think one thing you brought up earlier in the show is <clears throat> They want, you know, they want to feel loved and cherished and not a burden, yeah. right? I remember one time I told my husband, do you think you're a burden? He said, yes. I said, well, you're not. I love you. And we do this because we love you. And he said, thank you. Yeah. And that broke my heart because it was like that he needed that reassurance. Like that broke my heart to see him say thank you. Because um, there was no thank you needed. You're my, you, we love you. You're, you've given us, there wouldn't be life um, for three people on this earth if it wasn't for you. Um but, you know, I think telling them maybe something as simple as just remembering to say, I love you every day. That could be a goal, yeah. you know, because I don't think we yeah. do that. I think that yeah. we get so caught up in caregiving and frustration, Um. you know, yeah. from even if you're, you know, if you're a loved one at home, you know, my heart and my everything goes out to you guys because I can't even imagine. Um, my husband needs so much care, and I, I have a team helping me at the facility, and my family, you know, and myself. And I know so many people don't have mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I think we get frustrated with everything going on, and we forget to look at our loved one and say, "I love you." I think we forget that. Mm. And um, I think it's so something easy because, as simple yeah, as it's easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they need to hear that. Yeah, case, I bet you, if you just, even if you're frustrated, yes. and you guys are. You're fighting over something silly of them, you know, not letting turning over for you to be able to move them or whatever. Just, yeah. You know, you may, in frustration, have to say, "You know what? This is hard, but I love you." <laughs> um it's that, it's that guilt need to,
1: yeah. yeah. They need to know yeah. they're loved. No, they, and they, they are. We, they are We all need loved. to. We all need to feel loved, don't we? Even caregivers. Yeah, we all need to be able to come in from the rain, and we all need to yeah. be loved. And I think one of the other things that is really important, you know, I, I certainly, for the person, the person with HD, the the, the the caregivers get lost from the beginning too. It's a series of losses on the journey, isn't it? And we all know that, and I know that the show's not about this, but I'll make this point, is that for the person with Huntington's, it's a series of loss too. And I think one of the mm-hmm. losses when things change and they can no longer work anymore and then when they need physical care, and then when they may be in a facility. I often have thought about the concept, what is it that gets them up in the morning, right? When we're young, we get up in the morning because we're kids and we do that. When we start working, we get up in the morning because we're we're feeling like we're a productive member of society. A caregiver gets up in the morning because they know they have this responsibility for this loved one. The person with HD, as they get sicker and are more, more dependent on other people, I think it's really important to try to tune into what gets them up in the morning, what makes them feel like I want to start another day. And I think it's really Mm. important to try to identify that. And, Katie, it could be something as simple as an embrace to remember to say, Mm. I love you, and I'm so glad you're here with me. Because they've lost all those other things that make them feel um, important in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They become the caregivers. Yeah, that, absolutely they, right. Their world becomes sometimes that room and just the caregiver, and we all need to, we all want and need to feel loved. And so I think that was a really important comment. I'm glad you shared that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we do love them, or else we wouldn't be doing it. And, um, and right. you know, um even if you're mad at and them, so it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. which happens, and that's okay too. Um, you know, that's I, okay too. You know, that yep, yep. Um, I think I was yeah, I, I and that was even before HD man. Do I remember
1: getting being that mic in our earlier years? <laughs> um, yeah,
0: but no,
1: you know, uh, I I would circle around to you know because I think we've kind of gone over time, but um, I would circle around to to say how to how to you know, restore balance after the frenzy of the holidays. It's a challenge for everyone. It's specifically, Mm -hmm. I think, more of a challenge for Huntington's families they bear. And so I think there's just keep in mind there's a short game and there's a long game. And so hopefully people don't enter these high-stress times depleted that uh, get your reservoirs filled up before you go into that and make – make lists of things that you can do to to restore refill that reservoir both for yourself and your loved one and use it and do it and do it and, um, and try to get through on an equilibrium and then spend more time refilling that reservoir on the other side. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with that. And it's a, it's a rough journey we're on, you guys, and, and the holidays don't make it any easier, but, um, you know, you have a large community out there. Please reach out to your community, and I think Terry made a huge point. If you're feeling, um, and I, I've said this in the last couple of shows, and I'm going to say it again, if you're feeling depressed or or you're having any type of thoughts of, um, you know, hurting yourself or, or something, please reach out. Um, you're worth it, and um, these are very stressful times. Yes. We're on a very stressful journey, and um, there are people that can help you um, through that. And so, reach out um, because your loved one needs you, and um, your 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 family needs you, and you are worth it. Um, do we have any final thoughts, Terry, before we wrap up today? No. To, well,
1: you know, the only other thing I wanted to to say is that, um, and, and I mean this for all the people who are who have HD, JHD, and caregivers. I admire you enormously. I'm so grateful to be part of this community because it is the most mm-hmm. special community I've ever had the privilege of being a part of. And I, I would endorse, Katie, what you said. Please reach out to those special people in your life, reach out to our community. Share the burdens of this journey with all of us because we get it and we wanna help mm-hmm. and our our your journey will be will be less burdensome when you're connected to people who understand you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And happy and holidays. Whatever yeah. the holidays are for you guys. Um happy happy holidays to you. And um I I I wish I could virtually see a bunch of little lists on everybody's refrigerator.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: yes. So I will um
0: this is wrapping up our show for the year. Um, thank you to all of our sponsors and investors that have helped us made the show possible in 2018. Um, I think we've completed every single week this year, except for there was one that was taken off. So now we reach that we have over 342 shows available on iTunes and on Blog Talk Radio wrapping up uh, this season. And um, they're all available for free uh, for our community, so you guys can always log in, log on to www.helpforhd.org, go to Programs and Help for HD Live, and you will see all of um, the iTunes link there, and you'll be able to see all of our programs uh, back from 2010. And um, so we are so thankful um, to all of our listeners uh, for for supporting the show and um, and our, our sponsors for making it happen. Um, my goal uh, for for 2019 is my and my hope is to see some of these very this very promising research um, go into clinical trial and and see some some good outcomes for our future generations. Um, you know, at Help HD, we fight to be the last generation to live with Huntington's disease the way our generation and past generations have been forced to do. And so, um, I think we are in a very um, exciting time when it comes to research. And um, my my hope is that we move forward. Um, and uh, we have some good outcomes. Um, everyone, please enjoy your family uh, for the rest of this holiday season, and we will check back with you, back, uh, check back in 2019. <laughs> everyone, have a good New Year's. Thank you, Terry.